It's in three different Gospels, the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke call him by his name Levi, and Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, calls himself Matthew. So it's the same person, story told three different times. Now, is he not the most unlikely candidate for salvation of all the people in the Bible? So his his name, his birth name was called Levi. So say Levi. Say Levi. Here's what it means. Attached to. Say that. Attached to. I want you to learn that. Attached to. So his first name by his parents was called Levi. means attached to. Now, that's a good name. You want to be attached to your faith. You want to be attached to your family. You want to be attached to your culture. You want to be attached to your great roots. You want to be attached to the rabbis. You want to be attached to the temple. This guy is the most unattached person you will ever meet. He is detached from his family, detached from his friends, detached from his faith. He is detached from from all the rabbis. The rabbis said he's a covenant breaker. You cannot touch this man. You cannot come up to this man and have fellowship. You can't hang out with this guy. You're not even supposed to look at this guy. And so this is like one of those amazing stories to me on how Jesus comes to the most unlikely candidate in the whole culture, a guy named Levi, who was really detached, and he comes to him and he says, what? I want you to come and what? And follow me. That three of you know the story. That's good. You, you, you paid attention in Sunday school. Come what? Follow me. Now, his name Matthew means gift of God. And when Matthew writes his gospel, the gospel of Matthew, that's the guy who wrote the gospel of Matthew. That wonderful 28 chapters that you and I so love, this is the dude. This is the guy who wrote the book. His name was Levi, attached to, but he was detached. Jesus comes to him and attaches. I think it's a great story, an incredible story. But he sold out. Now, why, why were they so hated? Why were the tax collectors, well, in in our vernacular, they would be accountants, they would be CPAs, he's an Ivy League MBA, and we don't hate accountants, we don't hate those people, right? How many of you are accountants or CPAs or bookkeepers, okay? You're great, as long as you do what we say to do. You're great, and and, and we love that. But, but, But in this culture, there were two types of tax collectors, and one of them was disliked, and one of them was hated. Here's the first one. The first one's called gabah. And the gabah tax collector was somebody you didn't like. If you had an extra ticket, you know, to the Colts-Patriots game this afternoon, you probably wouldn't take him. And by the way, the Colts are going to win. And are there... Are there any Patriot fans in the room? I want to say, did, did, did we serve them communion? Because if we did, that, that was an oversight. So, so these are people that you, you mildly dislike, okay? And they would tax you. I'm sorry, we'll talk about Jesus in just a minute. Just hang on. But these were people that, that you didn't enjoy being around, but, but they weren't out to harm you. They would tax you like a little bit of income, a little bit of grain, a little bit of produce. But the second type of tax collector you hated. The second type is called this, maksha. And the maksha is what Levi is. And let me just give you one example of why you would hate this person. All right? 
They sold out. They bought a franchise with Rome. They basically worked for the Roman government. They made the Romans wealthy, and they made themselves wealthy. If you were this type of a CPA tax collector, you were extremely wealthy, and Rome loved you. So here, let me just give you one example. You're a fisherman. You're around the Sea of Galilee, and you've been fishing all night long, and you guys had a great catch, you and your men, and you paid all your men, and you pocketed about a 1000 bucks. Your profit's about $1,000 from a great catch that particular night. Here comes this tax collector, and he sets up a booth where you cannot avoid him. Here's what he does to you. You made 1000 bucks, right? He taxes you on the fish the number of fish. He taxes you on the bait. He taxes you on the boat. He taxes you on the harbor that you used. He taxes you on the wagon that you used to carry the fish. And then he taxes you on the road that you used the wagon on. And when this guy got done with you, you might have 75 or $80 left out of $1,000. He fleeced you. And so it's no wonder that the guy who's the most detached from all of their culture, that when Jesus walks over to him, everybody is shocked. So Matthew chapter 9, and look at verse 9, look, look what he says. He says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named, now see, Matthew's writing his own gospel. The guy who's writing this is Matthew. Now his other name is what? Levi, and Mark calls him Levi, Luke calls him Levi, but Matthew says, I don't want to be called by that. I want to be called by my apostolic name, which means gift of God. I got a gift. I got to be reattached. Nobody would look at me. Nobody would shake my hand. Nobody would hang out with me. I got a second chance on life, and I'm going to call myself Matthew. Now, just that very first part of the sentence as Jesus went on from there, what Jesus had just been doing was teaching in a house. And I love that story too, because three other gospels tell that story. And Jesus is in a house, and the house is crowded, nobody else can come in. And you remember the story? The guy's paralyzed. And how many friends carry him? Four friends. You went to Sunday school too. That's good. Um, four guys carry their par- paralyzed friend to the house. They can't what? Get in? It's too full. And so what do they do? They go up to the, they go up to the roof and they start, tear, yeah, they start tearing up the guy's roof. Now, if that was my house, I'd be going, what are you guys doing? You're tearing up my tile, bro. And so they take the thatch off. They let him down. He comes into the house and Jesus heals him and forgives him. Jesus just had somebody brought to him. Now, Jesus is getting ready to go to somebody and that's everybody in the room. Everybody in the room You've had friends who keep pushing and encouraging and suggesting Jesus, or Jesus has directly come to you in a most dramatic way. Both ways, Jesus is coming to your life. Here's the story. So as he just gets through teaching in this house and healing this guy who's paralyzed, he saw a man named Matthew, the other gospels call him what? Levi, sitting at the tax collector's booth. He buys a franchise. That's basically what they did. They bought a franchise, contracted with Rome, and here's where they are. And Jesus said what? He said, follow me. Follow me. And what did Matthew do? I I think he just pushed his chair back, got up from his desk, 
He can't believe you saw the emotion of him. That's why we showed you that picture. I think that's pretty much how it happened, by the way. He's overwhelmed. And he gets up and he starts to follow Jesus of Nazareth. Now, about four years ago, a grenade went off in my head over this passage. I have read these four verses, I don't know how many dozen times, and I never noticed what I noticed about four years ago. And so I don't want to mess up your theology, and I don't want to mess up your evangelism, but it messed with me. And when this grade exploded, I knew I had to figure out what in the world's going on here. So I've had four years to think about this. You're going to have about four minutes, but just hang with me, okay? So I I realized that here's this guy, and Jesus comes to him, and Jesus says, I want you to come follow me. And Jesus doesn't say, I want you to believe anything. And Jesus doesn't say, I want you to change your behavior. I just want you to come follow me. Wait a minute, preacher. Are you saying that to become a Christian, that it doesn't matter what you believe? I didn't say that. Are you saying it doesn't matter how you behave? I didn't say that. But I said in this story, what he does is he doesn't ask Matthew or Levi, whatever you want to call him, he doesn't ever ask him to believe anything about Jesus. And he doesn't ask him to change any of his behavior. That should mess with you. Because you've had people tell you, you've got to believe certain things before you can go to mile marker two. And unless you get your act all cleaned up, you can't even come to church. You've had people say that to you, and I have as well. Jesus doesn't do that. So hang with me. Just stay with me. Don't throw stones, okay? Just hang on. How long did these guys follow Jesus before they ever figured out who he was? Did any of these guys right now in this story think he was the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the true and, 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 and Messiah that would come to the ages? They didn't think that. He was a rabbi. They were following him. He had a lot of charisma. He could do some pretty cool miracles. He was a great teacher. Nobody spoke, spoke like it. But at this point in the story, maybe just like you, Maybe just like you, you're not really sure who Jesus is. Is he a good teacher? Is he a moral leader? Was he a great example? Was he God? Well, fast forward two and a half years from this story. Two and a half years from this story, they're up in a region north in Israel called Caesarea Philippi. And I'm going to do a whole Sunday on Caesarea Philippi. When, I went to, when we went to Israel, it was two of my favorite places were the empty tomb and Caesarea Philippi. I wept at Caesarea Philippi. I've read this story in Matthew 16, 16, a hundred times, never understood it until I'm standing in front of this huge rock and I get it. But I'm not going to share that today. That's later, okay? But at Caesarea Philippi, two and a half years from here, Jesus asks them, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Okay, Jesus said, good, good. But, but who do you guys say that I am? And what did Peter say? Peter said, well, you're the Christ. 
You're the son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father has revealed that to you. That's the first time. They've been following for two and a half years. Two and a half years they've been following. They still didn't understand who he was. Fast forward another eight months. It's the Last Supper. And they're hanging out and they're passing the olives and the figs and the bread. And Jesus is saying to them, guys, this this is about it. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to, be, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm, I'm going to rise again. You know, did any of them get it? Did any of them understand what was going on at that time? Not a single one of them understood. How do we know that? Because when Jesus was arrested, they all scattered. Peter kind of hung out a little bit, but after a few short hours, he was cursing, and a servant girl, you know, a little middle school girl, he was backing up from her, wasn't he? They all ran. They all went home. They all locked their doors. They all hid underneath their tables. Because when Jesus got arrested and then was crucified, everybody thought the movement was over. It's done. We had a good run on this. This was fun. Three years, pretty cool miracles, but it's over. Nobody was standing outside the tomb going, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. On that Sunday morning, the girls, the women bring burial spices. Now, why do you bring burial spices? Because somebody's dead and you're going to put some more spices on them. Nobody expected a countdown. The sun's coming up over the mountain. The clouds are going to part. The angel's going to move the stone. It's going to be a glorious resurrection. Nobody thought that. Jesus shows up to them, about seven of them in the room. Thomas wasn't one of them. The next week, Thomas is there. He thinks they've all hallucinated. And Thomas, Jesus said, check it out. Look at my hands. Check out my side. And what did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. And he was never the same. You see, all of us are Levi. All of us, we, we want to be attached. But all of us are detached. We're detached from ourselves. We're detached from our values. We, we, we get detached from the things that are so valuable to us. We can't even look at ourselves. We look down. We can't look at ourselves in the mirror. And here comes Jesus. He says, he says, come and follow me. Now, why did Jesus do that? Because Jesus knew if you follow me, eventually you're going to find me. And if you find me, you will eventually become committed to me. And when you become committed to me, you become my disciple. And that changes. That changes everything. You see, I I think we push people too hard, too fast, and don't give them room to breathe. I think we ought to be getting people to do exactly what Jesus said. Why don't you follow Jesus? Why don't you follow him? C.S. Lewis is one of the most profound and prolific 
Christian authors of the 20th century. Many of you don't know C.S. Lewis, but C.S. Lewis's buddy was J.R.R. Tolkien. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings, and Hollywood took it, and they've made about, what, four or five movies with The Lord of the Rings. They're great, they're great movies. But C.S. Lewis, five, five movies, okay. C.S. Lewis, that's good, six, keep going. Can I hear seven? Um, C.S. Lewis, uh, at age 14, was um, an atheist, and his mother had cancer, and he promised that if God would heal his mama, that he would serve God forever. What happened to his mom? She died. And so C.S. Lewis said, there is no God. If God does not answer the prayers of a little boy, there is no God. And he was bitter. And so at 14, he's an atheist. At 29 years of age, he's now a literature professor at Oxford University, University of Oxford. And um, he now calls himself a theist, which means there's a God, but it's impersonal. Somebody kind of started the whole thing, and there's a supernatural power, but, but I don't believe that he's personal. And so C.S. Lewis then in the evening time would be walking the campuses, and they'd be smoking their pipes, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and a guy named uh, Hugo Dyson. And so they're all walking around, and after about three years of talking to C.S. Lewis, he became a Christian. And C.S. Lewis said, reluctantly, I'm going to become a believer because nothing else really makes sense. No, I don't have it all figured out. No, I don't have all my questions answered. But yes, I have figured out there's a whole lot more available than I ever dreamt or I ever imagined. So here's a couple of quotes from C.S. Lewis if you're not familiar with him. The man was absolutely brilliant, died in 1963. When he was a younger man, new Christian, he said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy... The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That's pretty profound, isn't it? They said this to all of us. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. But if it's true, it's of infinite importance. And the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And so he was pretty convinced that there was more empirical evidence for the scriptures and for the resurrection of Jesus than there was for anything else in this world. Let's go to the next verse. Matthew chapter 9 verse 10 says this. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Now just, just you should have a real scream, time out, fingernails on the chalkboard here. The emergency brake just got thrown. Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. You don't eat with tax collectors. You don't look at tax collectors. You don't shake hands with tax collectors. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, can you imagine what Simon Peter's doing right now? He is freaking out. What are we? We hate these guys. They taxed my dad in our fishing business. He is, he's having a coronary. Sinners came, and they ate with him and his disciples. I just want to show you a parallel passage of this story in Luke. Same exact story in Luke. Here it is. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. Remember we talked about that earlier? It means attached to. Uh, Levi at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet. See, Levi gives us a few. I mean, this, this Luke gives us a few details that Matthew doesn't. Now, I like this because Matthew's being humble. 
Matthew's not telling everybody, I'm the richest guy in town. And he is. Matthew's not telling everybody, I got the biggest house. But he does. Look at this. This same guy, he, held, he holds a great banquet. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others, they were eating with him. I love this. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to the sect complained to his disciples. I think that's kind of interesting too. A lot of people don't talk to God. They talk about God, right? People who don't really understand all this, they never ask God, God, are you real? Hey, are you really out there? They just talk about us and talk about it. The teachers, they belong. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and with sinners? Great, great passage of Scripture. Great, great question. Look at verse 11. Let's go back to Matthew 9. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the question, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and with sinners? Um, we've got, uh, and he may be in the room this morning, or he may have been in the first service. First service was packed. Thank God that worked. And, and, I, and, and the biggest thing that worked this morning, was I think we tripled the number of children, which is what we needed to get the children spread out over all three hours. So the Lord blessed that. Uh, this, we, we had like 600 people at the 830 service this morning and about 9 million children uh, back there. <laughs> Preachers count. Preachers count. So our our neighbor, um, I got got a neighbor, and uh, I think he's about forty two, forty three years old, and he's been a Clearwater police officer for over twenty years, and um, they're not a, right across the street from us, but a few houses down, and and it's got a great wife and two little boys, and, and Emily babysits for the two little boys sometimes when she's not in college or when she's home, and so. Um, They've been coming. They've been coming about six months, been coming about once a month for six months. And, and he said, um, he said, Kurt, I, we, we love the children's area. He said, the children's area is great. My boys, my boys just love it. We like coming to church. He said, I like most of your sermons. Um, don't understand everything. And he said, um, he said, but you know, and, and he said, but I don't get the whole Jesus thing. I, I don't get it. I, I, I want to believe, but I don't get the whole, who is Jesus? I don't understand the whole Jesus thing. And I said, okay. And I just looked at him. He said, well, aren't you going to try to convert me? I said, no, you're not my project. He said, what do you mean I'm not your project? He said, you're a horrible evangelist. I said, well, <laughs> Well, I'm just saying, you're, you're not my project. He said, well, everybody tries to cram this. I said, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, what do you want to know? So this was about Thanksgiving. And then Christmas Eve, uh, they were all here at Christmas Eve. And I saw him in the lobby after the first service, which I was lucky to find anybody. But I, I, I ran right into him. And he said, can we get together and talk? And I said, yeah, what do you want to talk about? He said, about Jesus. He said, you're terrible at this. He says, that's what I want to talk about. I can't figure out this whole Jesus thing. I said, okay, right, when do you want to do it? He said, well, how about like the week between Christmas and New Year? I think it was New Year's Eve day. We're at, so I said, yeah. So we, we met for like two hours at Starbucks up in our area. It was fun. It was great. And he just asked question after question after question. And um, he said, um, well, tell me about this, you know, this whole crucifixion, resurrection thing. And I said, okay, again, what do you want to know? Well, do you really think it happened? I said, well, you know, everybody agrees there was a historical Jesus. And everybody agrees there was an empty tomb. Now, not everybody agrees what happened. He said, yeah, what, what do you think happened? So we walked through five or six different possibilities there. And, 
And he said, do you really think he rose from the dead? I mean, I mean, how, how? I said, yeah, I really do. He said, well, why? I said, well, you tell me. How do these guys go from cowards to courageous? How do these guys go from locking their doors now to they're, they're publicly proclaiming Christ out of, in all the, the area. How do, they do, how do they go from being scared for their lives to now they all gave up their life, except John, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos for, as a 90-year-old man. How did they all, they all said it was true. He goes, okay, okay. He said, he said, well, what about like North Korea and the North Koreans that are communists? And, and I said, dude, you're asking questions that I don't have answers for. And you don't have, and no, I said, nobody has answers for it. He said, well, like, like, do you have any doubts? I said, well, of course I have doubts. We said, well, like, like how many? <laughs> I said, are, are you asking, like, what percentage? I think I got this figured out. He said, I am. I said, I'm at 92%, bro. I'm at 92%. I said, there's 8% over here. I don't know, and I don't care anymore. I, I really don't. But I'm at, eight, I'm at 92%. I said, where are you? He said, I'm at 32%. <laughs> I said, Okay. That's, that's, that's great. I said, do you want to get to 50? He said, I do. And then he figured this out. He said, there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot riding on this. Besides my own eternity, he said, my boys and my bride, there's a lot riding on this. And I said, you're absolutely right. This is huge. And this is your responsibility as a spiritual leader of your home. So he said, all right, how do I get to that 50% this year? I said, well, I'm, and I had a walk through the Bible Bible with me, and I said, it has a daily reading program in here. I said, you start following Jesus, you'll find him. You'll find him. And I said, you know what? I'd probably start in the New Testament, start with Matthew, go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and read through the New Testament, and then start all over again. And I said, I- I- I'll be glad to meet with you. Let's meet again three or four months. And he's probably thinking, maybe you can do a little better job this time, you know. But, <laughs> but I'll be glad to meet with you again. We'll talk about this. We'll, talk, we'll walk through this. And I said, you know what else I would do? And I said, I, I-, I would pray five minutes a day, pray to God, not about God, not around God. I would have a set time. He said, yeah. He said, I, I want to figure the whole prayer thing out. And I said, you know what else I would do? I said, I, I would come on the Sunday after Super Bowl, February the 8th. We're doing an Old Testament seminar. On February the 8th, we're doing all of us. On that Sunday, you can learn 77 people, places, and major events of the Old Testament. On that one Sunday, we're going to start with Genesis in the morning, break for lunch, have a tent outside, start back about 1.15-ish or so, and go till 5 o'clock. But on that Sunday, Sunday after Super Bowl, after the Colts win the Super Bowl, okay, <laughs> on February the 8th, and I, he, said, he said, I'm there. He said, I'll, I'll do it. I, I, I'm, I'm there. I, I don't know all of you in this room. But we're all Levi. Maybe we're educated like him. Maybe we've got a lot of skill with our hands in a particular area. But, but we're all in such desperate spiritual need for the Messiah to look at us and say, come and follow me. And, and this, this is the confidence that I have. 
I know after doing this for 30 some years and this grenade that went off in my head four years ago, I know if you will follow him, you will find him because he wants to find you. He's more passionate about finding you than you might even be about finding him. I know you're going to find or be found by him. Look at what Jesus says here in these last couple verses. Jesus said, guys, why, why am I eating with the tax collectors and sinners? Why are we having this great big banquet at Levi's house? Because it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's just the sick. But go and learn what this means. And he quotes something out of Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous. And see, the irony is he's talking about the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are the ones who thought they were in. And the ones who thought they were in were out. And the irony is the ones who were out actually got to come in. That's the, that's the gospel. And so he says, I've not come to call the righteous. I have come to call, to call sinners. Why would you not follow Jesus? Why, why would you not? See, Matthew lost his guilt He lost his shame, and he found his destiny. He found his destiny. And that's what you have. Every man, every boy, every girl, everybody in this room, you have a destiny. So if you're new to church, just keep following. Just follow the crowd as they drive in here. You'll you'll find us, okay? Just, Just keep following. I'm going to encourage you to read your scriptures this year. I'm going to encourage you to, to come to that seminar. Go online right now. We're not having registration in the lobby. Go online and register. It's 12 bucks. It's 12 bucks. You'll learn the whole Old Testament really, really one day. I'm going to encourage you if you're, if you're to follow. Maybe you found him. I'm going to encourage you just to keep, keep worshiping. But maybe it's time for you to commit. Maybe it's time for you to step over the line. I've been following him for three years. I've been following him for six months. It's time for me to commit my life to Jesus. And I will never, ever be the same. So we have a prayer. It's called the sinner's prayer. It's a salvation prayer. It's the first step because you're acknowledging who he is. You're acknowledging that you need a Savior. It's the first step. If you've never done that before, we want to encourage you today to give your life to Christ. And guess what? We're going to join you. We're going to say it with you out loud. We're not going to make you do it by yourself because it's always good for our faith. It reaffirms our faith as well when we do this with you. And I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come down front. And if you did pray this prayer for the first time, that you come down front. And you tell one of them and let them pray over you as well. So I'm going to ask us to stand, bring our prayer partners down front. And here's this verse. I'm going to read it first, and then we're going to read it out loud together. Here's what it says. Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I am so grateful that you are able and willing to forgive me of all my sins. And I confess that you are the Son of God. And at this moment, I give my whole life to you. That was C.S. Lewis at age 31. That's many of you, most of you. Thank you for allowing me to become a Christian and live with you forever. Amen. Are you ready? Let's say it together. Here we go. 
Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I am so grateful that you are able and willing to forgive me of all my sins. I confess that you are the Son of God, and at this moment, I give my whole life to you. Thank you for allowing me to become a Christian and live with you forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.